0: Welcome to another edition of Missouri Farm Bureau's podcast, Digging In. I'm your host, Garrett Hawkins, broadcasting from Washington, D.C. We're actually in the headquarters of our national organization, the American Farm Bureau, and I'm joined with members of our team as well as USDA Undersecretary Robert Bonney. Mr. Undersecretary, welcome. Good to be with you. (laughs) So, first of all, it's great to be in D.C., and to see one another face-to-face. Uh, the first time that we met was via Zoom, and we have continued to communicate, but uh, actually you were in the secretary's office, I think, at the time and have since been confirmed as undersecretary. Uh, just really appreciate the chance to, to sit in an office face-to-face and have a conversation.
1: The feeling is mutual. The feeling is
0: mutual. So for our listeners, um, as we gear up, um, there's just a lot going on in agriculture, as you know, as we approach planting season. But maybe to start the conversation, just tell us a little bit about you, because it's not like you're new to Washington, D.C. and the agriculture policy space.
1: Yeah, no. So <clears throat> I grew up on a farm in Kentucky. Um, uh, my, my father was an attorney, but but uh, we had horses and cattle and uh a little corn and a little oats and a few other things. spent a lot of time throwing hay in a barn as a kid. Um, my family's also been in has uh, owned forest land for more than 100 years. So I've been a, both around agriculture and forestry. I'm a forester by training. Um, I spent uh, eight years in the Obama administration, working for the secretary first as a senior advisor and then as undersecretary for Natural Resources and, and the environment, working on forestry issues and conservation issues. Spent a little time at Duke between uh, the Obama and Biden administration looking at uh, rural uh, attitudes towards the environment and conservation. And then, uh, like a moth to the flame, here I am back in Washington working (laughs) at USDA and really excited to be working for the secretary. I'm obviously a huge fan of his, and we've got a good team back together at the department, so it's good to be back.
0: Well, obviously, the secretary is an old hand. He was at, uh, he was recently in Missouri, um, in fact, in at Lincoln University yeah. in Jefferson City. So it's always neat when any sitting U.S. Secretary of Agriculture visits your state. So that's special. Um, talk a little bit about your portfolio because it's pretty expansive yeah. now in your role. And obviously, you've got a lot of institutional knowledge, but what's on your plate?
1: Yeah. So we've got, so my section of usda farm production and conservation has three programmatic agencies um rma obviously it does crop insurance fsa we all know and then i've got nrcs as well so it's both conservation and it's production and conservation exactly as the name says and so um and i would say it's a really exciting time to be to be working in both those things we know we've got um great opportunities. We've got to feed 9 to 10 billion people by the middle of the century. So production is incredibly important. At the same time, we've got some significant conservation challenges and opportunities there as well on the climate and and elsewhere. And so really exciting time, great agencies and great team and excited to be there.
0: So when you think about the workforce that our members engage with, all throughout the country, I mean, you're kind of the guy. You're, you're. I mean, obviously, this buck stops with the secretary, but next in line, I mean, you're, you're who's watching out for those who take care of our members, to farmers and ranchers all yeah, across the country. I,
1: you know, one way to look at it is that um, they all work for me, and that's not the way I look at it. I actually look at it that I work for them, and uh, they work for all of you. And you know, right now we've been had some serious challenges with COVID we're opening up offices as quickly as we can we know how how important those relationships are and uh, hopefully we'll get back to normal here and and part of my job is to make sure that the folks out in the field have the resources that they need to, to serve agriculture uh, agricultural producers forest producers and others and so you know that's been an important issue here the last uh, few months and we hope we get to the other side of COVID and then we can kind of get back to normal, as it were, in the, in those field offices.
0: Well, that's certainly good news for our members. They have missed all of the direct interaction that they are accustomed to, I mean, with the faces of USDA, those who represent the agencies all throughout the the country. So so that's good news uh, for sure. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, in previous conversations, a lot going on as we think about disasters across the country. Um you know, we know weather is the <laughs> as we think about volatility in production in agriculture. Weather always comes to mind. Of what course. are your thoughts? You know, as we continue to monitor drought, uh, we just had a, a a a climatologist that came to our legislative briefing here a few weeks ago in Missouri and talked about prolonged drought and potentially drought working its way a little bit east, yeah. maybe into some areas of Missouri. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, it's obviously something that, that um, we spend a lot of time thinking about, and our perspective is making sure we've got the toolbox to help agriculture weather those ups and downs. And um, and so, you know, we have a disaster program right now, $10 billion of ad hoc disaster assistance we got from Congress in the fall. We're working as quickly as we can to get that out and to tie it to existing programs like NAP and crop insurance and... and um, lfp and others where we can use existing data that will make it more efficient to get those things out crop insurance continues to be an incredibly valuable tool and we'll look for ways to to make that tool available to all of agriculture i think the you know big question is going forward do do we have the toolbox we need to deal with whether it's drought extreme weather or the other things we're seeing out in the countryside and i i think that'll be an important conversation to have in the context of the 23 farm bill um, and, you know, we, we're always evolving our programs. We're always thinking, how do we, how do we make them so that they better serve, uh, agriculture? And I think, you know, we'll continue to use the flexibility we have at USDA, but I think we're going to need some help from Congress and thinking about, hey, do, do we have the, do we have the right tools in the toolbox?
0: So for our listeners, I want you to go ahead and plant a seed in your minds. We'll be starting our organization's policy development process here in the next few months. So be thinking about 2023 Farm Bill. Think about tools in the toolbox. You're going to hear us talk a lot about that. Um, The other huge issue, I can't go anywhere without talking about inputs, supply chain, what we're seeing in fertilizer markets. I I went ahead and bit the bullet, and we had fertilizer spread last Friday. It's going to hurt, but the result is I, I can't gamble that I'm not going to have hay uh, a good hay crop. So, <laughs> I know the secretary. You guys are hearing this every day because we're just getting hit,
1: yeah, over and over. No doubt. I mean, we're fortunate that that prices are are good right now for most things, right? But um, but at the same time, you're exactly right. Input costs are a real challenge. And as you know, most of our most of the safety net programs we have are tied to they're tied to yield or they're tied to revenue. Bingo. <laughs> and they're not tied on the cost side. <clears throat> so what do we do now? Well, I think what we do now is think about how do we make sure that we deliver the resources we can, whether it's disaster or the, or the just the blocking and tackling of our programs? How do we do the best job we can to support agriculture? And we're also thinking creatively at USDA about are there things we can do on the supply chain side? And we continue to have conversations there. and. Um, but I think um, you know this. This is this something that gets uh, talked about in the twenty-three Farm Bill. I don't know how you know how long are are uh, the, the inflation that we see. How long is it with us? I don't think any of us know that. Um, but I think, for our standpoint, we have you know there's we can only use the tools we have, but mm-hmm. we need to use those tools as best we can, and that's that's how I think we support agriculture through um, you know a time when input costs are challenging.
0: Yeah, wait. so. It's amazing. Several members of the media reached out last week to talk about, you know, the war in Ukraine, the impact on global markets, and we're seeing that reflected every day, right, in grain prices. And, you know, all farmers recognize that as we see this volatility, as we see prices rise, there's always a there's always a downside to that, right? When we get too out of whack, when we That's think right. about the diversity of agriculture and the impact on those who feed livestock. Uh, and so it is, it is a challenging time, but the reminder is we're going to plant a crop this spring. Right. I'm still going to wean my calves as our other cow-calf producers this spring. I mean, we are still going to go about our business. It's just every nickel and dime counts at this That's point. Right.
1: Margins matter. And um, you're exactly right. And, you know, again, for, for us, we our, our job I think is to use the tools we have to, uh, to make sure we, we support agriculture in the way we can. And, you know, we hope that, that in, inputs will stabilize and we hope markets will stabilize.
0: So when you talk about tools in the toolbox, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the climate space because you have been so, so active for many years, both from a traditional production agriculture as well as a, a forestry standpoint. Um, I think you've seen that Missouri Farm Bureau, we have, we are working to engage very proactively as we think about what we call common sense conservation, as well as on-farm resiliency. Mm-hmm. And in recent weeks, we've seen USDA roll out uh, a Climate Smart initiative. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what's going through your minds and where you want to see this head?
1: Yeah, l- let me take a step back first and sort of talk about the general approach Um Agriculture is in a really good place right now when it comes to engagement on climate change. Agriculture is at the table and thinking about how it shapes policy in a way that'll that'll work for farmers and ranchers. And the same thing on the forestry side. Forest landowner organizations, forestry organizations, are at the table. That's really important. When we look at climate policy at USDA, we're going to emphasize an approach which is voluntary incentive-based, based on partnerships. We're going to look for farmers, landowners to lead on this. We want them to, to to take ownership and be able to build their own approaches and solutions here. We're going to invest in science because we think agriculture has an, a good story to tell. We think productivity matters, but we also think thinking about science from an inventory standpoint to make sure that we can understand how Agriculture is improving soil health and how that contributes to, to uh, climate mitigation and, and issues like that. And so I think our approach is one that recognizes that if we're going to be successful, climate policy has to be, in, be able to be integrated into people's operations. It has to work for agriculture and forestry. And if it doesn't, it's not going to work for the climate either and so the the toolbox that you see come from us is, is one that's going to that's going to be based on that approach the partnerships program that the secretary rolled out almost a month ago now follows that approach the idea here this this is a commodity program and the idea here is to support scaling up the adoption of climate smart practices across hopefully millions of acres, of U.S. agriculture and forest land to let us de-risk the adoption of many of those practices. You know, you're asking folks to take on new practices. There's always a risk there. And to cover the cost of measurement, verification, monitoring, those types of things. If someone wants to produce a climate-smart soybean, climate-smart corn, climate-smart wood, maybe they want to think about Carbon markets. That's all. That's all great, and all fits within the program. Our interest is how do we scale up adoption of these practices, and how we do how do we do a good job of measure measurement and, and monitoring that. And so the program is designed for groups of producers. whether they be a, through a commodity group puts them together? Maybe a conservation group, maybe a partnership. Maybe they work with the university. They come together with a plan to adopt those climate smart practices and measurement measure and monitor those and, and we want to support that. And so far we've had a, a lot of interest. Um, one of the questions we hear is about early adopters. We've designed this so early adopters can participate, can 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 get benefits through this program. We also hear issues around equity and equity in thinking about small producers, medium-sized producers, historically underserved. Um, and so you know, we're trying to build something here which will work for all of agriculture. The other thing, this is pilots. These are pilots. We're going to learn some things here, and we want to be transparent about that. We're going to try some things. We're going to allow producers to try some things. And the hope is is that we'll construct a portfolio of projects that are, that are supported through this competitive process that will be broadly reflective of agriculture and that will allow us to learn. And hopefully, you know, as we think about Future policy, future efforts here. Um, we can learn some things here that'll
0: that'll help us move forward. I appreciate your recognition of early adopters and their role in, in this discussion. You know, we in Missouri, um, I'm really proud of my fellow farmers and ranchers and all Missourians. Yeah, you know. You know we for several decades now have taxed ourselves to put in place additional soil and water conservation practices That's through right. our one-tenth-cent sales tax so how mr Undersecretary, how how do we do a better job of telling the story because when i think about that program and the benefits it's yielded in the form of reduction of soil erosion to enhanced water quality all of those things have a suite of environmental benefits beyond just those two things. How do we get better at telling the story?
1: It's a great question, and it's a really important question. There's a, there's a bit of a polarization industry here in our nation's capital that tends to want to divide us around issues, right? And so you, hear, you can hear two very different perspectives on the role of agriculture and forestry when it comes to climate change. We've got to build a broad middle here. We've got to demonstrate that, that agriculture has an important role to play in mitigating climate, even while we produce the food, fiber, wood, and other things that society needs. And telling that story, I think, is really, really important. We hope the partnerships program will help tell that story. We hope we can go point to things on the ground that demonstrate how agriculture has been and will be leading and, and leaning into this. We also need to invest. I mentioned earlier we need to invest in the data here to be able to tell this story, to be able to show that that agriculture um, can play an important role. And as you point out, we've we've got early adopters that have been doing conservation for a long, long time, and we need to point that out to the public and and have the public understand the importance of those commitments and the stewardship ethic that runs deep through producers and, and landowners in this country. And so this narrative going forward I think is really important. I think I think agriculture and forestry landowners in the country have always um, th- there's a strong stewardship ethic, but we all know there's skepticism about climate policy, environmental policy on the countryside. They worry about what it's what it's going to look like. As I said, we're going to adopt a model which is incentive-based, voluntary. It's about partnerships, about collaboration. We need to tell the story about how that works. In my view, it's the only approach that actually will work. So much diversity in agriculture that it has to be a a an approach which is producer-led, producer-driven, landowner-led, landowner-driven. And so, but we've got to tell that story. And. Um, and, you know, I've said to a lot of folks, say it to you guys and others, is USDA wants to help tell that story. We want to be honest about what agriculture does and, and, and how it can participate. But we think there's a really good story to tell here, and, and we want to work with agriculture and forestry to tell it.
0: Well, as I think about your team on the ground across the country, um, you know, as you think about— the stellar participation in USDA programs. And you look at the popularity of, take EQIP, for example, in Missouri. You know, USDA officials have long recognized that if it gets too too complicated, farmers aren't going to step in the door of the office and, and want to enroll in that program and put in place those practices so there has to be some practicality and common sense to it as well as the notion of we all want to do better and need to be more resilient on the farm so how do farmers best engage in this discussion to make sure that the outcome results in a in, in more tools in the toolbox that are practical for them to use it's a really important question
1: and i've been at the conservation game for a long time and you have too and I think both of us recognize that sometimes government programs make conservation too difficult.
0: Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> with, with I mean, the, yes, yes. The
1: wall is too high to get into the to get into the yard as it were. And um and so and the the uh, Chief Cosby and I were actually talking about this yesterday to to a group of folks. We need to do more to um to make sure folks can get in and that these programs are are uh practical. Um, There's always a tendency in Washington to look for waste, abuse, and fraud, and all those things. And those are, don't get me wrong, um, those are important issues. But as a result, we tend to build a lot of security in these programs, checks, and balances, and all this stuff. And we tend to forget that we need to make them, that producers actually have other things to do, (laughs) right? And we need to make them relatively easy to get into the to uh, to get into these programs and so that is i I think that's really important um as we think about both the 23 farm bill but but really it's more about how usda implements these programs right now and and making it easy for folks to do the right thing and that's that's going to be important
0: as we think about other food for thought for our listeners, are there important deadlines coming up as, you know, as we think about this crop year, anything that you want to remind folks to, to be thinking about?
1: Um, well, you know, I know we have a, a sign up, I think March 15th for our PLC and and um, um, we've got a general sign up right now for, for CRP as well and encourage people to um, uh, to to get into our offices on those things. And I think... You know, we've got a we've got an opportunity right now in the partnerships program. We're asking folks to put together uh, the partnership for climate smart commodities. We're ap- asking folks to put together projects by the uh, beginning of April in the c- case of larger projects, and then a little bit more time for uh, for some of the uh, smaller projects that that um, address equity and and other considerations. Um, and I would encourage on on that in particular. If folks have questions, please reach out to us. We're We've got a team working, and we want to make sure we answer folks' questions on those those programs.
0: Okay. Well, we certainly appreciate your time. In fact, uh, our new state FSA director, Mr. Joe Ohl, came by and, and visited the office the other day, and we had a great conversation, and, and certainly, you know, all across the country, there are good people who are serving USDA. Uh, appreciate the discussion. Any closing thoughts that you have for our listeners?
1: <laughs> no, I really appreciate your all's engagement. And Garrett, you reached out to me early, and uh, it's much appreciated. We had a great conversation then. There's there's a lot for us to work on. There's a lot of common ground here, and I'm, I'm excited about the next couple of years.
0: Well, I appreciate you noting common ground because certainly, as we think about, um, it's a it's a challenging environment across the board as we. <laughs> as we try to do what we do best in producing food, fiber, and fuel. And certainly, as we think about these issues, um, it behooves us as farmers and ranchers to be proactive and, and pull a seat up to the table, particularly on something like uh, the Climate Smart Initiative. Ultimately, we want to do better, but it's got to be practical, common sense, and I appreciate you noting voluntary, incentive-based, and obviously attuned to the markets. So, more to come. Just know that we're going to continue to engage. You'll hear from Missouri Good. Farm Bureau often on, on these I hope, things. I hope I hope uh, to get out there to see you. Uh, well, our, our members have a lot to show as the show me state when it comes to common sense conservation. So, yes, you're always welcome to come visit. And for our listeners, thank you again for tuning in. This has been another edition of Digging In. We'll see you soon.